I was surprised when I saw the schedule. Joe came up to me and she put a schedule in front of me and she said, hey, we want you to speak. And it was on September 3rd. But somehow things got flipped around and they said, hey, can you switch with Chris? And can you fill in on, on June the 11th? I thought, oh, well, that's a whole lot less time to prepare. That'll be wonderful. <laughs> I said, we'll work on that. And so here we are. Um, and then I said to Dave, too, uh, you've asked a farmer to speak. That's kind of crazy. And then I thought about this for a little bit. And, and you know what? When Jesus made his uh, journey to Jerusalem that final week, he goes into the temple. Of course, the first time he, he throws everybody out, the money changes and all that, that ruckus, he throws them out. And he, Day two, he comes back in there, he starts teaching. And then you see the Pharisees, they come up to him and they say, who are you? What, what, by what authority are you teaching these things? And it just shocks me. Here's God in the temple. And these religious leaders come up to him and say, what authority do you have? You might expect lightning to come down and just finish them off at that point in time. But God, Jesus has mercy. And he doesn't do that kind of thing. And as I was thinking about that, so you have Jesus in the temple speaking his message and they won't listen to him. And, and I'm thinking about me as this farmer speaking to you tonight. And then I think about Balaam's donkey, way over here, the other end of the spectrum, where God, God uses the lips of a donkey to inform his prophet of what's going on. And, and just look, you don't see the spiritual stuff going on around him. I hope to land somewhere in the middle. I don't want to make a new low. So that's my hope tonight. Um, so let's just pray, and hopefully we'll pray that God takes control of this thing. Father, we thank you this evening that we can come before you um, and we can share a gospel message. And that's what we wanted to do tonight. Um, Father, we want uh, my words to become your words so that some heart here might be turned to you and might know the truth, maybe for the first time. Maybe they've heard it a, a thousand times and they just need to hear it tonight from a farmer. Um, who else to sow the seed but a farmer? And who else to bring in a harvest for you but a farmer? So, Father... I humbly submit to you tonight to be able to used, be used by you. And Father, I just pray you take this time and let it be a blessing to those who hear, but also to you. Amen. Johnny had a Sunday school teacher, and she was, uh, she was telling them about heaven and how wonderful it was going to be. She was describing the streets of gold and the crystal things and all the beauty of heaven. And she came to a point in time, she said, who wants to go to heaven? And the whole class stuck up their hand except for one boy, Johnny. She was a little bit, she took notice, but she didn't want to single him out. She didn't want to make him feel bad. So she kept on going. She said, our friends and loved ones who have believed in Jesus will go on before us, and they'll be there. They'll be all wonderful things. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Um, she talked about all the wonderful things that heaven will have. And then she asked again, who wants to go to heaven? And all the kids, once again, they all, yeah, 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 except for John. He just turned away and looked down, and he didn't want to draw attention to himself, but he was shaken no. And that disturbed her, because Johnny was from one of the up families in the church. He wasn't just a, a, one of the street kids who wandered in. He was, he was from a, a prominent family in the church, a faithful family. She thought, how can that be? And so she, she couldn't let it go this time. She said, Johnny, Johnny, 
don't you want to go to heaven? And Johnny just looked down, shook his head, said, she couldn't believe it. She could not believe it. She said, Johnny, don't you want to go to heaven someday when you die? And Johnny looked up, a big smile on his face. He said, oh, yeah, someday when I die. I thought you meant right now. I have a, that was just one silly story, but the next one goes right along with that, and that's um, Joanna's testimony. Joanna is my niece, and, and my sister and her husband are missionaries. They've been missionaries to Ukraine. They're back now in Canada as part of the, the office looking after, looking after all the missionaries that go out to different fields, um, and so that's their job right now. But when Joanna was a little girl, she was only, I don't know, five, six years old, and they're around the, the kitchen table, and they're talking about heaven, similar to Johnny, Johnny's Sunday school teacher. And the rest of the kids are all older than her. She's the youngest in the family. She's about five or six at that point in time. And um, they're talking about heaven, and it went on for a little bit, and Joanna did this. And my sister, you got to understand my sister, she's Dutch, and she's stubborn, and she looked at that and she thought, no kid of mine is going to plug their ears while we're talking about spiritual stuff. And she actually started to get a little bit, hmm, this bothering her. But before she could say a word, the Holy Spirit moved her and she said, Joanna, why are you plugging your ears when we're talking about heaven? And the next part is really hard to say. Because Joanna's answer was, because I'm not going. This little five-year-old girl knew that she wasn't right with God. She knew that people have a need. She knew that on our own, there's a problem. We're, we're sinners before God. And so my sister, at that point in time, she thought to herself, if this little five-year-old girl has already been spoken to by the Holy Spirit and knows that she's a sinner, not right before God, and she can hear the gospel, and she can understand that. And she took her aside. She got out some younger children's material-type Bible stories and, and took the word of God, and she told Joanna how she can become a Christian. And that day, Joanna accepted Christ, and she became a Christian. Um, part of what I wanted to do tonight was to go through. Um, we're going to look a little bit at the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, who goes and talks to him. Um, there's a little bit of introduction before I get there. Um, and part of what I wanted to do, because you don't know me from Adam, really. I've been coming here for a year, but I thought, you know what? What better thing to do if I have time is to give you a little bit of my testimony. And you know what? I was thinking about that, too. I, I became a Christian when I was about 12. And I thought, from 12 till now, that's a lot of years to squeeze into two hours. But I think I got it. And you guys are all right with that. Or you or you're just Popeye and you don't know what to say. <laughs> No, I, I will try to keep it to a, a respectable time. Um, so I had been thinking about 1 Peter 5.8, and that's part of the reason why I'm here tonight. 1 Peter, not 5.8, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be all ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What hope does a farm, farmer have? And not, not just a farmer. I'm a little farmer. I'm a teeny farmer, kind of an old-fashioned guy. What far, hope does a farmer have before God? 
If you know what hope is, hope is a confidence and a trust. And if you put your trust and your confidence in things of this world, it's going to fall short. So we're going to look at what hope needs, what our hope needs to be put in. Um, Sim had been preaching from Acts for, it seems like, an eternity. And as I started to think about what I would speak to you guys about tonight, I thought, you know what? I want to speak about the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip and, and how Philip was took, told to go out to this wilderness place and speak to this guy. But there's a little bit of stuff that happens before that. And if, if we remember from what Simmons has been teaching us, um, in the early parts of Acts, the church was growing. I mean, in chapter 4, 5,000 people heard the word and believed. And they were added to the church. They were baptized and added to the church. And before that, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000. So the church is growing. And it's, people are coming to the Lord and they are hearing the word of God. And they're hearing preaching about Jesus and teaching about Jesus. You know what? Um, it's amazing because uh, they only had the Old Testament to do that with. And only had the, the happenings of Jesus. So it was verbal, what, what the apostles had seen and heard. The New Testament wasn't written down yet. Um, then in chapter 5, there's some house cleaning. We have some issues with Ananias and Sapphira. But in verse 14 of chapter 5, it says again, multiples of men and women were believers were added to the Lord. In, verse, in chapter 6, the church keeps growing, and it's growing so fast that there's a need um, for them to do something. The Grecian widows, so the widows are from Greek background, were getting neglected, they thought. And so they, the apostles picked out seven men to help with that job. Um, and they picked out seven men full of faith and the Holy Ghost to help with the work and to care for people. They were servants. And we would use the words nowadays, deacons. Um, and it was different than the, original, than the first deacons that they picked out in the church, but still they gave them that name of deacons, that title. Stephen was one. Stephen was one, the martyr Stephen. Philip was another. Now, you, I had to look at this because there's an apostle Philip and there's a deacon Philip. They're two different guys. And then there's five other guys mentioned in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. But we're not going to talk about them. If you want to find out their names, it's there for you to look at. Um, chapter 7, you get the preaching of Stephen. And then later on in that chapter, Stephen becomes the first martyr. And then we get to chapter 8. And chapter 8 is kind of neat um, for me, I thought, anyway. Chapter 8, verse 1 goes like this. And Saul was consenting unto his death, that's Stephen's. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And that last phrase there is an important one. We're going to figure that one out in a little bit. Um, I'm going to read a little farther. So verse 4 to 8, Acts chapter 8 verse 4 to 8 goes like this. Therefore they went, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people were with one accord and gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. 
For the unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of that many which were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. And verse 12 goes like this. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So you see, Philip goes to Samaria, and he's preaching, and, and there's results. People are getting saved. It's like, wow, again. And, and this isn't Philip the apostle. This is Philip the deacon, Philip the evangelist. He's the apostles stay in Jerusalem. When the persecution happens, I don't know if they're in prison right at the time or what exactly is going on, but they stay in Jerusalem, and the regular believers are scattered and, and chased to the outside of Jerusalem. They end up going to Samaria and Judea and wherever else. And Philip's one of them. And Philip is not just a deacon, but it also calls him an evangelist. Verse 4 says, They scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word. And you might think, why? Well, yeah, persecution. But remember Saul? Saul's not Paul yet. And so he's chasing down everybody he can find who preaches the word of God. And it's not good results. I mean, it's like Stephen. Either they're thrown in jail or they're going to be the next martyr after Stephen or whatever. So they're gone and they're running to wherever. But I find it really neat. Regular people, deacons, went out preaching the word and spreading the gospel. That made me think, that's like me. That's like me. That's like the farmer. That's like the plumber. That's like the, the carpenter, the guy that does cement or, or whoever we might be. That's, that's us. Are you so ready that when you go out to your job, you're ready to speak the gospel to those that hear? And why not? Because if we're believers, that's what we're called to do. If we're believers, we're supposed to be out there. I, I, we get church wrong sometimes. We think, I'll just bring my friends and I'll let them hear Dave or, or Sim or or Alan, or whoever, the, the professional guys that come up here and preach and speak, and I'll bring them in, and they'll hear those guys speak, and, and something will happen. And God says, no. God says, if you're a Christian here tonight, I want you to be able to share with those, your friends um, the gospel, my message, my message of love. You know what? It's going to be a lot more impressive coming from you, whom they know, than coming from a preacher that they listen to for 20 minutes on a Sunday or 40 minutes or however long it's going to be. It's going to be a lot more impressive when they know your life, they see the change that it makes in your life, and they, and they hear you saying it. Way more impressive. So Philip's preaching in Samaria, and, and once again, they're, they're getting healed. They're getting, people are coming to the Lord. They're baptizing them, and they're adding more people to the church, Samaritans. And then the Spirit of God comes to Philip and says, Philip, I want you to leave this place and I want you to go way out there in the wilderness. It doesn't tell him why. It doesn't tell him that there's even somebody out there that he's going to speak to. And Philip goes. And that's in Acts. I'm going to read a little bit from Acts 8, 26 on to 40. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, 
saying, Arise and go towards the south, a way that goeth from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning and sitting in his chariot, he read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before her, she before her shear, so he opened not his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both unto the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at, at Azotus, and passing through the, he preached unto all the cities until he came to Caesarea. The angel tells Philip, go out into the desert. Um, and so he does. In verse 29, the Spirit of the Lord tells Philip, Go join yourself near to the chariot. I had a youth pastor that spoke on this part, and you, my family will remember it. And he, he made it kind of silly. He said, Philip's running up beside this chariot. The guy doesn't even stand or stop. And he asks him, do you know what you're reading? And he, the guy invites him up and says, how, how can I except there's someone to guide me? Romans 10, 14, 15 says this. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. What was the eunuch reading? He was in Isaiah 53. That's why I had Sadie read Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath carried, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, 
smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Somebody said to me not long ago, actually maybe a couple months ago, Christians only ever preach from the New Testament. They don't go back into the Old Testament and preach. Only from the New Testament. Somebody said, you don't see Jesus in the Old Testament. I said, wow, wow. I started to think about that. and I, I wrote down just a few things that we could go through and, and think about. Um, Genesis 1.26 says, Jesus in creation. God said, let us make man. And John 1, 3 to, 1 to 3 says, Jesus with God in the beginning. All things were made by him, and all things were made for him, and without, it, without him was not, not anything made that was made. Genesis three twenty one says, God makes them coats of sin for them to be clothed with. And a sacrifice was, was started, right? When people sinned. And if you look in the New Testament, the one that goes along with that, John 3.16. No, no, Hebrews, God ahead of myself one. Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. Jesus by his own blood became our sacrifice. Then I thought about this. You look at Abraham's life. When you get to Genesis 22, and Abraham is commanded to go up into that mount, mountain and offer his son, his only son. And we look at John 3.16, and God said, my only begotten son, I offer for your sin. And we look at Abraham's confession when he's up there and he's, he's taken Isaac along with him. Isaac said, see, here's the wood and here's the, what we need, but where's the lamb? And, and Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. And when we come to the New Testament, we see that God did provide himself a lamb. You look at Numbers when Moses was in the wilderness and the people had murmured and they complained about Moses and the leadership and actually against God. And then they were bitten by the serpents and Moses had to lift up the brass serpent on the pole for them to look at. And that when we get to the New Testament, John 3.14 says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, another picture of Jesus, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Then I, the one that we always read around Christmas time, Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The child is going to be called these names. Did you catch that? Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. We get to the New Testament and it confirms this. It's in Philippians 2 verse 9 and 10 it says, God hath given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. And then when you get to John 10, 30, it says, I and the Father are one. Jesus could say that. So back to Philip and, and the Ethiopian. I've lost my place here. That's fine. We'll get there. Philip is preaching from Isaiah. And he could go back, because I'm sure if, if this guy has gotten to Isaiah 53, I'm, I'm sure he started at the beginning. I don't think he did one of those things where he just flipped and went, oh, there we are. He would have had a scroll. He would have had to go like this and do that. But I don't think he did that on his chariot. Um, so he's reading in Isaiah, which makes me think that he's gotten through Isaiah 9 and, and the earlier ones. Um, Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. You know that one is a double prophecy that also prophesied something that was going to happen in the prophet Isaiah's life where he was going to have a, a son in his old age. But it was a twofold prophecy because it also refers to Jesus being born from a virgin. He would have hit all of those spots as he's traveling through the countryside reading in Isaiah, the, the book of Isaiah. Philip joins him on the chariot and he's able to tell this man from Isaiah about the virgin birth. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Fully God and yet fully man. Joseph, not his father. Only his adopted father. Jesus was not born in sin as, as every other man. Yet born to a woman, he was also fully man. Philip would have been able to share because we, we read Isaiah 9. Um, for unto us a child is born. Philip would have been able to share with this man how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. He would have shared, he would have shared the stuff that he knew that he had learned from Peter and John that we had learned from Acts. He had that in his memory. He's not, you got to realize from the time that the early church was happening till now Philip's in the, in the desert with this Ethiopian is about a year. Um, that's about all the time that's happened as far as I can see. So he would have had the memories of, of what Peter and, and the rest of the apostles had been teaching him. He would, have, he would have been able to share that God had raised Jesus from the dead. He would have been able to share the gospel spreading in Jerusalem and in Samaria, where he just had come from. Um, and then Isaiah 53, he's going through that part. Who believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord, verse 1, refers to the power of the Lord. Romans 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Do you realize that the power of God comes through the cross? That's an amazing thing. Jesus, at his weakest point, 
shows his greatest power. And in his greatest weakness, he defeats all of Satan's, the, the best that Satan can throw at him. In fact, he goes, after he's, he dies, and he goes right into hell, and he's there for the three days. He steps in there himself, and he steps out himself. He defeated it. He conquered it, and he, he comes out victorious. Verse 2 in Isaiah 53 refers to the humble beginnings that Jesus would come from. He grew up as a tender plant. Verse 4 to 5 shows Jesus would suffer for our, our sins. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded or pierced for our transgressions. He had the chastisement of our peace upon him. And for our well-being, his stripes, we are healed. Verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. There's the sin element where he, he could share with this Ethiopian, we're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But he had it there in front of him in Isaiah 53, where he could share the gospel clearly from this passage. And finally, verses 10, 11, and 12 talk about how Jesus will satisfy the payment that was needed for the justification of sin and how Jesus will be resurrected. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, it says he shall prolong his days. Um, it says, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And if you think about that, spoils never go to those who are slain in battle. The spoils always go to the victor, the one who conquered, the one who succeeded, who comes out on top. They're the ones that divide up the spoils, not the ones slain in battle. And this Ethiopian man believes. He believes. He's, he's riding with Philip in the chariot, and he believes. And as they're going along, they come to the spot, and they see there's water. You know, this guy was not a poor guy. He's traveling along through the desert. I'm sure he had water in a canister. Why didn't he just say, let's stop and you can use this water in my, in my canteen or bottle or whatever he had and we can baptize me right now because I believe. But he didn't do that. He waited till he saw this pool of water, this body of water big enough for them to both go down into and both come up out of. In the meantime, he baptized them there. I, I think about that often. Um, that needs to be part of the church's message of, of salvation and the gospel. Baptism goes right. And you've heard Sim drilling that into us. I was going to say pounding that into us, but that's not right. Drilling that into us. He's been sharing that passionately for I don't know how long. Um, and that needs to be part of our, our message. It, it should not be that Christians come along 20 and 30 years down the road and say, I've been a Christian for 20, 30 years. Now I want to get baptized. That's not the way it's supposed to work. It's not the way it's supposed to happen. You, you get yourself, you tell people for one thing. When you become a Christian, you tell people it's, I compare it to this. When we have babies in our family, we would never say, okay, we've got this brand new baby. I'm going to leave it in the hospital until it can feed itself, until it can make itself uh, clothe itself in the morning until it gets rid of the messy diaper problem. You'd never say that. You take that baby home with you and you look after those needs till, till it can look after that stuff itself. And it's the same for a baby Christian. Baby Christians are supposed to be brought into the church and taught because at first they drink 
the milk, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that they may grow thereby. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And later on, as they grow and develop, they mature into handling meat and to handling the more, uh, the more tougher doctrines. So this guy becomes a Christian and he's baptized. Woohoo! It should be hallelujahs all over the place because of that. Because the angels in heaven rejoice. And it says they, they celebrate when one comes to the Lord. And you think, wow, but he was in Samaria where there was lots. Do you know what that means? This guy's going back to Ethiopia. And it's not the Ethiopia that we think of today. It's not quite that far south. Um, but he was an important guy in this Queen Candace, which is a title, not a name, I found out. Um, he's going down to her kingdom, and he's going to be the one that's going to go down there and share the gospel, I'm sure, because that's what happens in the early church. They didn't just sit on it. They didn't just hide it under a bushel. No, they shared it. And so he goes down there. Up on the screen, you see a picture of a baby. This, this is not me. Although this is about how old I was when my parents started attending a Baptist church in Tilsonburg. They came from a church just down the street here uh, where they were told that they were sinners, but that they, they had no hope. They were never given any hope there. Maybe someday by the providence of God he might choose you, but we've got to leave that up to God. In fact, when they left that church, the preacher told my dad, you're raising your kids to go to hell. That guy wasn't happy that my parents were leaving there. He was kind of upset. It, it bothered him. They didn't like to see, and we don't like to see people leaving the church, so I, I get that. But my dad responded, you know what? The Bible says that they're going to come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south when they get to that kingdom in heaven, and not only from your church. Um, and it just so happened, my mom was in the hospital in Tilsburg in between... She, she never did well with pregnancies. So um, there's uh, my sister is the oldest. Then there was a brother that was born under her, but he didn't make it. Then I have a brother that did make it, which some of you know. Then me, and then after me, there was another brother who also didn't make it. Um, it was in the time between me and the younger brother that she was in the hospital, and I'm not sure if she was pregnant with that guy, with him, my brother yet, or if it was just complications in between pregnancies. But she was in the hospital, and a preacher came in there because she was on a ward with some other ladies in the same room as her. So she was in a bedroom, or a bed beside this lady, and the preacher came in to see that lady. But as, as he came in there, he was friendly, and he got to chatting with her too. And um, long story short, he ended up inviting them to his church. And my dad said to the guy, you know what, there's no hope for me. That's what he'd been taught. It's what he'd heard all his life. There's no hope for me. But he said, you come. He said, I, th I think there's hope for you, Nick. They ended up going. They ended up going to that Baptist church. And that was their testimony. I mean, you could, you could see, I think it was about f three Sundays in, the guy had given an invitation. They'd heard the gospel message. And they're sitting in their church pew uneasy. And... Those days they gave an invitation at the end of the service people would come forward and the people were hoping 
My, I know my parents, they were hoping that this man would pray for them and they would feel more assured about their salvation. That's really what they're hoping because they had never been taught assurance. So they, this guy gives the invitation, they come forward to, for salvation, hoping that they're going to feel better about salvation. Long story short, they became Christians there. And that's where we ended up going to church for about 24 years. My testimony is that they took me there. But that didn't make me a Christian. No different than if I'd sat in my garage all winter long, I wouldn't be a rototiller. But it did teach me the gospel message. And it did get me into a place where I heard it regularly. If you could put up that next slide, Darren, that'd be great. Try not to go too long, but I do want to share some stuff with you. That's me, the youngest guy in this corner on the bottom here. And if you look, my mom and my sister at the top. So we went to an evangelical church. And like I said, that won't make you a, a Christian, but it will expose you to the truth of, of, of the gospel and of, of Jesus. Um, and I want you to see that, the girl in there, because when she, she was like my niece, she became a Christian at a young age. And that made a difference too. She was God's secret weapon against me, I guess, as being a non-believer. There were times where I'd be, uh, we'd be getting ready for bed and she'd come into my room, our room, because I shared it with my brother. And I can remember there were different times when this happened. She'd tell me something like, Are you, if you were to die tonight, if you went to sleep and you didn't wake up, do you know where you'd be? And I'd go to sleep. I'd, I'd, I'd be laying there. I didn't want to go to sleep anymore. How can you go to sleep after you're told if you shut your eyes and you don't wake up, where are you going to be? I, I was like my niece. I knew the difference. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I wasn't right with God. How do you go to sleep with that kind of conviction? God's speaking on your heart. If you're at that level, God's already speaking to your heart. And I knew. And I would go to sleep some nights. When she did that to me, I would go to sleep some nights after struggling with trying to keep my eyes open. You can only do that so long. But I'd go to sleep pr praying, God, don't let me die in the night. Not knowing yet to pray, God, save me, forgive me, be my, be my Lord and Savior, be my Lord. I didn't have that clued into here yet. But I would pray, don't let me die yet. I'm not ready. I guess he answered that prayer because I'm here. God had some more influences in my life. So we were going to a Baptist church. And my dad, he had a milk every Sunday morning. So he made a arrangements for us to get picked up. And actually the Wallets who lived in town here, um, he had invited them because they weren't going to the Baptist church until he started inviting him between him and their neighbors, the Friesens. Um, who both became members the same day. My parents and the Friesens became members at Tilsonburg the same day. Um, and they invited this neighbor that they had. And my parents knew the wallets. They were good friends. So they invited them to come to church. But that became our ride to get to Sunday school. 
And I think about my Sunday school years. I mean, there were different classes. There were some Sunday school teachers, some ladies that I just loved. I mean, they were, they were wonderful. They are like ants to me. But there was some Sunday school teachers as I went through my years that I was afraid of. I had one Sunday school teacher that when I was this young little guy like that, I thought, man, he looked like an undertaker. And I thought he ate kids for breakfast. And if I saw his wife, I thought, man, it looks like she could cook them up for him. I was afraid of him. And when I got married, because my wife came from the same church, and we got to chat, and she said, yeah, she was afraid of that guy too. (laughs) I was afraid of him. He was the sweetest man ever. But when you're this guy and you don't have everything, don't have the same perception, that, that can be a scary thing. And I had another problem. I, I didn't mind going to Sunday school, but it wasn't my favorite thing. I got I to gotta admit that. Sunday school wasn't my favorite thing. I was this little farm kid, and I, there were things I liked. I liked playing in my sand pile. My, my dad would get a truckload of sand dump, and we'd play in that. And I had the Ertl farm toys, and I, that was my deal. That was my world. That was my kingdom, playing in that sandbox. In fact, when I had to go to school, and leave my kingdom, I thought, how will I ever survive? <laughs> I didn't know how I would ever make it. This is, this is imposing on my playtime in the sandbox. Some of us are like that in our world. Where we're, we'd rather do our thing than have God creep into our lives. We've got business, we've got relationships, we've got dreams in this world of our kingdoms. Maybe it's a home, maybe it's cars. I don't know what it can be for you. It can be multiple things, but we let that get in the way of what God wants to do in our life. Um, And we had different teachers. That first pastor who was a young Dutch guy, and he preached with passion. He would stand in front of the church. He called them my beloved. And sometimes he would cry Something, he, was, he was passionate. He was an evangelistic type guy. He wanted to see people come to Christ. So he, Pastor Baptist, he was evangelistic. But you know what? Even with a young guy that's on fire, if you're, if you're well, I shouldn't say if, there can be people in the church that weigh down heavily on that guy and that do nothing but complain, do nothing but whine, to the point where that guy burned out and had to leave. And there was another guy that came in there. It was Pastor Stanley. And in the years of Pastor Stanley, but these guys were similar in that they preached the word of God. They wanted to see people come to Christ. And like I said, in those days, they gave invitations every now and then, maybe not every Sunday, but they gave invitations. And it, it took a while for me to figure out that I was not right with God. It took me a while to figure out Like my sister said, if you were to die tonight, where would you be? And I can remember, it was in the years of Pastor Stanley, William Stanley. He was preaching on a Sunday. And I was the type of kid that, you know what, I really didn't want to walk an aisle. I was about 12. And he was preaching, and I knew where I was. I knew I wasn't right with God. He gave the invitation and asked people to come forward, but I didn't do that. I went home that day, and I... After we'd had lunch, I went off by myself into the barn. I can remember the place in the barn where I knelt down and I asked Jesus to forgive me, to come into my life, to help change me, because on my own I could not do that, um, and to be my Lord. 
I had this misconception as a youngster. It's one of the things, I know I would have heard it in Sunday school, and Pastor Sim spoke on it a couple weeks ago, of that woman that they bring to Jesus, and after, after he writes in the sand and all the rulers run away, because they're convicted of their sin by what he writes, and he says to her, go and sin no more. And that held me back for a while, because I thought, you know what, if I become a Christian, I don't want to be phony. When I become a Christian, I want it to be real. I want it to mean something. I don't want it to be this phony stuff. Well, I don't know if I can pull that off. Go and sin. If Jesus says to me, when I become a Christian, go and sin no more, how am I going to make that work? That's like impossible. And thank goodness, we know that even Christians sin, and we have an advocate with the Father. First John, if you haven't been coming to the Bible studies Midweek Bible studies, that's, we've been learning that there, and I knew that anyway, but we've been learning that there. We have an advocate with the Father who will handle our sin from our past, who will handle the sins that we commit in the future. He's got it all covered. And we still, we don't aim to sin, but when it happens, he will, he will forgive us. I had a, one other idea, too, when I was a kid. Before I came to Jesus, I thought, Jesus, they, they t- Jesus loves me. Song says so. Every, everything, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves, for God so loved the world. And there it hit me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I had this idea, Jesus loves me, but God so hated my sin that he did not. And that's a wrong idea. Because the word of God says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And if you go farther, Romans 5, 8, it says, but God commendeth his love towards us, his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth, but God commendeth, it means he proved, he demonstrated, he put it on display that he loved us by giving his own son. And John six forty says this, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. Wow, I've gone through all this stuff. That's amazing. Just by memory. Didn't have to read it all. That's good. Which leads me to this point. Where are we tonight? Because I can stand up and say, this is what it means to this Ethiopian eunuch. This is what it means for me. But where are we? Where are you? 2017, the church I was at, which was Oxford Baptist in Woodstock. Um, Darren, you can start the, the next one. They did this presentation of the gospel at Easter time. And I struggled with this a little bit because they were telling the story of Jesus, his ministry. Um, I knew where this was going. It was going right to the crucifixion. And they were looking for someone to play Jesus. And they, um, it was my friend who was directing and putting it on, organizing the people to do the parts. 
And he came to me and he said, will you do Jesus? Right? Like I said, I, I didn't want that part. Not because I didn't love the story, not because, but I thought, man, I'm not worthy to play Jesus. No one should play Jesus. No one should ever play Jesus. And he asked me, and I, I didn't give him an answer. I didn't give him an answer. And he came back second week, and I, I hummed and hawed a little bit, and I left from there, and I still didn't give him an answer. Third week, he came to me again, third Sunday, and he asked me, and I, I still never said, yeah. I still never said that. He said, but he said this to me. He said, if you won't do it, someone else will. We'll get somebody to do it. And that, that stuck in my mind. And I started to think, you know what? You're not, I'm not worthy. That's the truth of it. You're right. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner like everybody else. Nobody should play Jesus. Um, number two, I'm as bashful as I'll get out. And I know where this ends up. This ends up with Jesus on the cross. And I, I said that to him. You know what? I, I'm not comfortable with being in front of people without my shirt on. I mean, I've been at the beach. I've been swimming where everybody's. But this is different. This is in the church where everybody else is not in swimming attire. It's just going to be me on that cross looking like that. He said, we'll give you a T-shirt or something that blends in skin color. And they tried that, and that looked goofy. Um, and I ended up, not ever saying yes, but he said he ended up sticking a script in my hand, the, the part of Jesus that they wanted Jesus to, the words they wanted Jesus to say, and they said he said come to the practice, and so I went, and I had never said yes to it, and so we went, and we we told the story where Jesus. I ended up doing the part. We told the story where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Can you flip? And again. We told the story of where Jesus healed this man. They brought this guy in on a stretcher. Two guys carried him in. And Jesus healed him. Next one. There he's happy. Next one. We told the story of where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they're waving the palm branches. Next one. And the Pharisees, they were always bugging on him and complaining about the things that he did and and trying to trap him and and just being against him and opposed to him. Next one. Jesus talking with his disciples. Next one. Finally, it starts coming to the that end time where Jesus is going to go to the cross. And so we told the story about how Jesus prayed in the garden. Next one. Where Judas, this guy in the middle, betrays him for the 30 pieces of silver. Next one. And he's led away by the soldiers who gather him in the garden. Next one, please. We told them how he got whipped. They whipped Jesus. And while we're doing this, these two soldiers are actually two of these guys. So they're in it too. And they actually whipped, but they whipped the ground. One lady in the church thought I actually got hit because I winced at the right time. We told the story of how he carried his cross. Next one. And then finally when they led him up to Golgotha to be crucified. Next one, please. And where they nailed him on the cross. And lifted him up. And Jesus was there. And there you see what it says in Romans 5.8. 
where God demonstrated his love for you. And Jesus suffered there and died. His body broken, like Isaiah 53 said. He who had done no sin became sin for you and for me on that cross. And he took it upon himself. And then we told the story of how he rose back from the dead. It was finished and he completed it. And God was pleased and he raised him up from the dead so that we can have newness of life. Tonight I've tried to tell you the story. I've showed it to you from the Ethiopian eunuch. And I've tried to show it to you in, in these slides where, that somebody took of this presentation that we made. Um, and I thought, what else can you do with these pictures than just keep them on Facebook? They need to be shared so that other people can see what, what God did for them. God loved you so much that he went through that. And he didn't have to, but he chose to. That first picture that you saw, was the first bulletin. When my mom passed away, uh, my sister and my wife went through her stuff and they came across this stack of bulletins that they found in a drawer of hers. That first picture of that baby was the first bulletin that um, was in that stack. And like I said, when they took me to that church, that's about the age that I was. And if you look through that stack of bulletins, they had a stack from the first year. It told the story of them coming to the Christ, to Christ by the, just by the messages that you could see, the titles of the messages. And you could clearly see how God worked in that church to bring them to the knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by what was written on the pages of those bulletins. I think by the fifth bulletin, there was a baptismal service and their names, I think, are in there that they were baptized and became members. That's not my story. So my sister comes out with this stack of bolts and she said, look, this, this is neat. And I thought, well, yeah, well, big deal. And then I took a second look. And that baby on the front, that was the age that I was when they dragged me, carried me to that church. I thought, wow, that's kind of neat. That, that's not me, but I mean, that, that's a picture of me in my mind. And the last bulletin that they kept had the announcement of my wife's mom and dad that they got married in the new church. I thought, wow. So from the time that they took me to this Baptist church in Tilsonburg to the time that my wife's parents were going to get married, you kept a record of that, Lord. That's neat. That's really neat. And some 50 years later, you give me this little reminder that says, you know what? I had it planned for you. It's not something that you did for you. It's something that I had planned. And look, you dumb farmer, I'll put it in the bulletin. Jesus loves you. And someday maybe it'll be in your bulletin. But he loves you. And tonight he says, what are you going to do about it? Um, and he wants you to come to him.